0: ATAR breaking news
1: alert President Biden beginning his remarks on US assistance to Ukraine we take you
2: to Washington live Good afternoon I want to begin by thanking President Zelensky for his passionate message this morning I listened to it in the private residence and uh, he was convincing and significant speech he speaks for a people who have shown remarkable courage and strength in the face of brutal aggression. Courage and strength that's inspired not only Ukrainians, but the entire world. Putin is inflicting appalling, appalling devastation and horror on Ukraine, bombing apartment buildings, maternity wards, hospitals. I mean, it's, it's God awful. I was speaking about this with the, our, 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 our commander behind me here. General Milley, I mean, it just is amazing. Yesterday, we saw reports that Russian forces were holding hundreds of doctors and patients hostage in the largest hospital in Mariupol. These are atrocities. They're an outrage to the world. And the world is united in our support for Ukraine and our determination to make Putin pay a very heavy price. America is leading this effort. Together with our allies and partners, providing enormous levels of security and humanitarian assistance that we're adding to today. And we're going to continue to do more in the days and weeks ahead. We're crippling Putin's economy with punishing sanctions. That's going to only grow more painful over time with the entire NATO and EU behind us and many other countries. What's at stake here are the principles that the United States and the United Nations and across the world stand for. It's about freedom. It's about the right of people to determine their own future. It's about making sure Ukraine never, will never be a victory for Putin, no matter what advances he makes on the battlefield. The American people are answering President Zelensky's call for more help, more weapons for Ukraine to defend itself, more tools to fight Russian aggression. And that's what we're doing. In fact, we started our assistance to Ukraine before this war began, as they started to do exercises along the Ukrainian border, the Russians, starting in March of last year. We took the threat of Putin invading very seriously, and we acted on it. We sent Ukraine more security assistance last year, $650 million in weapons, including anti-air and anti-armor equipment, before the invasion. More than we had ever provided before. So when the invasion began, they already had in their hands the kinds of weapons they needed to counter Russian advances. And once the war started, we immediately rushed 350 million in additional aid to further address their needs. Hundreds of anti-air systems, thousands of anti-tank weapons, transport helicopters, armed patrol boats, and other high mobility vehicles, radar systems that help track incoming artillery and unmanned drones, secure communications equipment and tactical gear, satellite imagery and, 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 and analysis capacity. And it's clearly helped Ukraine inflict dramatic losses on Russian forces. On Saturday, my administration authorized another $200 million to keep a steady flow of weapons and ammunition moving to Ukraine. Now I'm once again using my presidential authority to activate uh, activate an additional security assistance to continue to help Ukraine fend off Russia's assault. An additional $800 million in assistance. That brings the total of new U.S. security assistance to Ukraine to $1 billion just this week. These These are direct transfers of equipment from our Department of Defense to the Ukrainian military to help them as they fight against this invasion. And I thank the Congress for appropriating these funds. This new package on its own is going to provide unprecedented assistance to Ukraine. It includes 800 anti-aircraft systems to make sure the Ukrainian military can can continue to stop the planes and helicopters that have been attacking their people and to defend their Ukrainian airspace. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer-range anti-aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems. Our new assistance package also includes 9,000 anti-armor systems. These are portable, high-accuracy shoulder-mounted missiles that Ukrainian forces have been using with great effect to destroy invading tanks and armored vehicles. It'll include 7,000 small arms, machine guns, shotguns, grenade launchers to equip the Ukrainians, including the brave women and men who are defending their cities as civilians, and they're on the countryside as well. And, we're, and, we, and as well as the ammunition, artillery, and mortar rounds to go with small arms, 20 million rounds in total. 20 million rounds. And this will include drones, which which uh, demonstrates our commitment to sending our most cutting-edge systems to Ukraine for its defense. And we're not doing this alone. Our allies and partners have stepped up to provide significant shipments of security assistance and will continue to help facilitate these deliveries as well. The United States and our allies and partners are fully committed to surging weapons of assistance to the Ukrainians. And more will be coming. As we source additional stocks of equipment that are all that we're ready to transfer. Now, now I want to be honest with you. This could be a long and difficult battle, but the American people will be steadfast in our support of the people of Ukraine in the face of Putin's immoral, unethical attacks on civilian populations. We are united in our abhorrence of Putin's depraved onslaught, and we're going to continue to have their backs as they fight for their freedom, their democracy, their very survival. We're going to give Ukraine the arms to fight and defend themselves through all the difficult days ahead. We're going to continue to mobilize humanitarian relief to support people within Ukraine and those who have been forced to flee Ukraine. In just the past few weeks, we've provided $300 million of humanitarian assistance to the people in Ukraine and in neighboring countries. Tens of thousands of tons of food, water, medicine, and other basic supplies to support the people in need. Our experts on the ground in Poland and Moldova and other neighboring countries are there to make real-time assessments of the rapidly evolving crisis to get urgently needed humanitarian supplies to the people in need when they need it. And we will support Ukraine's economy with direct financial assistance as well. And together with our allies and partners, We will keep up the pressure on Putin's crumbling economy, isolating him on the global stage. That's our goal. Make Putin pay the price, weaken his position, while strengthening the hand of the Ukrainians on the battlefield at the negotiating table. Together with our allies and partners, we're going to stay the course. And we'll do everything we can to push for and end this tragic, unnecessary war. This is a struggle that pits the appetites of an autocrat, against humankind's desire to be free and let there be no doubt no uncertainty no question america stands with the forces of freedom we always have and we always will i thank you all and god bless you and i'm going to walk over and sign this legislation sign this bill to allow the drawdown of those materials and may god protect their Young Ukrainians are out there defending their country.
0: All right. You've been listening to press comments by President Biden regarding what we are going to do in additional aid to the people of Ukraine. So let's go down a list of some of the things he said. They were going to be adding more assistance, $800 million more in this package, 800 anti-aircraft missiles and longer range missiles so that they can defend themselves, 9,000 anti-armor um, Systems. These are shoulder held uh, systems that are taking out tanks and armored vehicles, 7,000 guns and grenade launchers, and 20 million rounds of ammunition along with drones interesting in that there was what was not mentioned. He did not address the people of China. We know that there have been questioned that Russia had questioned or asked China for assistance, military assistance, and China had said that they were going to stay neutral on this, which I thought was a very uh, a different attitude than we had heard from the Chinese a week or so before. But there was no mention of a no-fly zone, which is exactly what President Zelensky asked for. Now, I'm not advocating for it. I do find it surprising that the President of the United States did not address that. Didn't even mention the no-fly zone, and didn't mention the possibility of giving jets to the Ukrainian people. On the show, on the uh, the morning show on Arizona's Morning News, uh, Senator Mark Kelly was talking about the proposition of a no-fly zone, and there is a dramatic difference between a no-fly zone and providing airplanes, providing jets. And there was a deal that the Polish uh, government had proposed that they would give twenty-nine MiG fighters the Ukrainian pilots, and then they would ask that the United States send F-16s and replace those jets to the Polish government with U.S. made jets. And, uh, the Pentagon said no to that. They said they discussed it with the Allies and decided against it. We have gotten into this when you're talking about these kinds of anti-armor systems, anti-aircraft systems, when you are talking about uh, what we have done to arm them, as the president said, and allow those people to defend themselves. We have already given them those weapons. I don't know the difference in giving jets, but we did not hear anything about that from the president, which was a bit surprising because this morning at the end of President Zelensky's time... He played a video for the American Congress and then pled with them for a no-fly zone. It was not addressed by this president. Now, they've addressed it in the past, but there was no mention of it today in this morning's comments, which I just happened to find interesting. He did talk about the war crimes. He did call uh, Putin a war criminal. He said that these are atrocities, that they are holding patients and people in a hospital hostage, and called these atrocities and war crimes. So we're going to have more on this as the morning goes on. We'll let you hear if you're just jumping. In The President of the United States was speaking about what we are going to do additionally for the people of Ukraine and what we are sending and what we are spending in humanitarian aid and just kind of an update. More as the morning goes on, we'll let you hear some of the comments from him coming up here in just a couple of moments. KTAR News on 92.3 FM
1: and the KTAR News app. Now, continuing coverage of the Russian invasion of Ukraine.
0: Thanks for being here. I want to say a big thank you to Glory Kaufman of Fountain Hills, Arizona. She won the $100 as part of our 100 days of giving leading up to the 100th anniversary of KTAR. We are so thankful that you've allowed us to be a part of this community for almost 100 years, which is rapidly approaching. We are giving away $100 every single day to a listener, and that listener gets to choose a charity of their choice, and we'll give $100 to that charity as well. Her charity was Helping Hands, Arizona Helping Hands, which was the charity of her choice. If you want to win that hundred bucks and then have us give a hundred bucks in your name, just text the number one hundred to four one one ninety-two three. That's one hundred to four one one ninety-two-three. President of the United States just spoke a few moments ago about what we were gonna do. I found what he didn't say as interesting as what he did say about what we are doing to aid the people of Ukraine. Earlier This morning, uh, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, spoke to the U.S. Congress, as he did to the Canadian Parliament the day before, in pleading with us for a no-fly zone, which I am not advocating for, but that was the thrust of the speech, explaining to the American people, remember what happened when your skies were dark because of Pearl Harbor, when planes attacked your country, on nine eleven, when planes attacked your country. That's what's happening to us. We need a no-fly zone was the plea from Zelensky. There was no mention of that about a no-fly zone or giving planes to the Ukrainian pilots. None of that was mentioned in the president's speech. Here's what he did say. These are a couple of things in the additional $800 million in aid that we will be giving them in military aid. Here's some of what's in it.
2: This new package on its own is going to provide unprecedented assistance to Ukraine. It includes 800 anti-aircraft systems to make sure the Ukrainian military can continue to can continue to stop the planes and helicopters that have been attacking their people and to defend their Ukrainian in airspace. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer range anti aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems.
0: So that is part of what is there. He goes on to talk about some other things that are in this package:
2: nine thousand anti-armor systems. These are portable, high, high accurate, high accurately, high accuracy shoulder-mounted missiles that the Ukrainian forces have been using with great effect to destroy invading tanks and armored vehicles. It'll include seven thousand small arms, machine guns, shotguns, grenade launchers to equip the Ukrainians, including the brave women and men who are defending their cities as civilians and they're on the countryside as well
0: so what are we to infer by the president not addressing the giving of planes to ukrainian pilots uh senator mark kelly was on and uh, was on this morning with Arizona's Morning News. And he was talking about the issue of giving airplanes over and some of the issues maybe with the Ukrainian uh, fighting
1: force. The Ukrainian military have 30 MiG-29s right now. If this was the U.S. military in this kind of scenario, you would expect uh, maybe a little bit more than half of those airplanes to be functional, to be fully mission capable. So the big question is, why are they only flying one to five sorties when they have probably about 15 airplanes available? You would be flying those airplanes multiple times a day i would expect they would fly 30 to 45 sorties a day but they're flying less than five so maybe they don't have the spare parts maybe they don't have the maintainers maybe they don't have the weapons to put on the airplanes
0: So uh, these are things that I'm curious what our intelligence gatherers know and what we know about the ability of Ukrainian pilots to protect the airspace, even if they had more aircraft. But it wasn't addressed by the president. So I wrote down – I was taking notes during the president's speech or during his comments, and I wrote down three things. One was China. Because there have been questions about Chinese involvement Uh, less than three weeks ago or about three weeks ago. The Chinese were pretty emphatic about saying these are our closest ally. We have got an unlimited alliance with and partnership with the Russians. That was a few weeks ago. Unlimited. There were no limits to their partnership. And then the Russians came and asked them for military aid, which surprised a lot of people. The Chinese military is the second largest on the planet. The Russian army, the Russian military is the third largest military on the planet. We're number one. And when you have the third largest fighting force asking the second largest fighting force for military aid, it was concerning to a lot of people. Uh, There were conversations and statements made by the U.S. government telling the Chinese government to stay out of it. The Chinese government had a very, um, I would say, timid in a way response in saying we are neutral on what's going on in Ukraine. We are not helping. We are staying out of it. We're not going to help the allied forces. We're not going to help the Russians. We're out which is a far cry from what they had said earlier. There was no mention of the Chinese people. The president did talk about our allies and that we are unified in the things that we are going to do and say moving forward. But those three things that were left out, I found to be very curious. No mention of the Chinese government, no mention of a no fly zone, and why we are not helping or, or a reiteration of that. And the reason why I think that was odd is because just this morning, when President Zelensky talked, President Zelensky asked our country specifically for a no fly zone. There was no pr- public response. I'm sure there was behind the scenes, but there isn't a public response to that. And the other is explaining to the American people, which I I think an explanation would go a long way, and I mean this as I'm I'm curious about this. We are giving, as you just heard the president say, 9000 anti-armor systems, 800 anti-aircraft systems with longer range missiles and capabilities to shoot down aircraft, 7000 guns and grenade launchers and 20 million rounds of ammunition. We are giving them weapons that have been very effective in decimating some of the Russian forces. What is the difference between giving them that and giving them airplanes? Is it what Senator Kelly said about them not having the capabilities and the spare parts and the munitions to arm the aircraft? Is that why it would be a waste to do that? Because the Polish government seemed to think it was a good idea to give them the MiGs that they had. Or is this something that we, they, you, we figure it's crossing a line? And I don't, I don't know the answer, and I think the American people in the world would like to hear an answer to that. So I found all those things curious. What we're going to do coming up here in just a moment is uh, we are continuing to have candidates on of all the statewide races. And one of the most important races is for that seat that is currently being held by Senator Mark Kelly. One of the Republican challengers is Blake Masters. He is a GOP candidate for U.S. Uh, Senate. He will join me at about 1035. We're going to talk with him about that seat and about that office and why he's running for it. All that happens Next. All right. We are continuing to make sure that we have informed voters. We're giving opportunity for candidates in the statewide races to give uh, to talk with the audience and give them their perspective on why they are the best person for that job. One of those candidates is Blake Masters, and he is running for U.S. Senate. And he joins us now. Blake, let me start with the obvious question. What is it that uniquely qualifies you over the other Republican candidates to win this nomination?
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, I uh, I really understand the unique and modern threats that we face. You know, you're going to hear a lot from the Republican candidates, my competitors, about... Uh, The border crisis and inflation. And I'm talking about those things, too. Look, I'll be effective on those issues. We do have to close the border to illegal immigration. We do have to stop spending trillions of dollars uh, on things that don't make sense. But what about big tech? Right. What about banks and banking infrastructure being weaponized against conservatives? What about the politicization of the DOJ and the FBI? I'm out front speaking on these issues, which I think are just as big a threat to American security, to Arizonans. And uh, I don't hear my competitors doing that.
0: You know, it's interesting. There is a, a comparison that is very obvious to a lot of people about the tax policies of this administration versus the tax policies of our governor. And uh, you are involved in a fellowship program of entrepreneurs. And so I think you have a unique look at business as well in what small business owners and entrepreneurs and how they thrive. How does that play into your role if you make the Senate?
1: Well, look, I've seen as an investor in startups, you know, I've invested in dozens of startups and we've helped uh, all sorts of young people basically escape the college machine to do something more entrepreneurial. So I believe in a pro-business environment, low regulation, right? We don't want government to get in the way. Um, We got to get back to a culture of healthy risk taking. You know, I understand how hard it is to create a business, to create a startup, to go from zero to one. And so you need people in D.C. who aren't looking to overregulate, who are looking to uh, to to really spur innovation. I just literally know how to do that.
0: When uh, you look at what the difference between Senator Cinema and her comments at growing up in, nor- in southern Arizona or being born in southern Arizona and what she has to say about the failures of the federal government when it comes to the border and you look at it, it really hasn't been that emphatic coming from Senator Mark Kelly. It, it, do you think because of the fact that you are from southern Arizona that you see things uh, differently about the border because you grew up there and live there?
1: Absolutely. And look, there are intersections in Tucson that I remember being able to walk around as a kid. You know, I could just go outside and and walk to the local supermarket. Can't do that anymore. Some of these intersections literally have tent encampments, you know, homeless encampments. Um, and some are full of sort of illegal aliens and uh, and the crime associated with the open border. It's really crazy. And I just see the state that I love has just changed. It's just changed. And, and as to the border issues, changed for the worse.
0: And going back to your original point, talking about the weaponizing of some of these agencies, banking and others, how can you affect that? I mean, I understand your knowledge of it. But going into the Senate, how do you build a coalition of people and what needs to be done about? It? It.
1: Well, the first thing is to just make a lot of noise. Like I can show a lot of cultural leadership by pointing out we're only two or three years behind Canada. You know, if you enable the, the government to declare martial law and tell banks that it's OK to seize checking accounts, you know, they did it in Canada for the protesters, uh, the truckers. But They'd love to shut you down. They'd love to push one button and cancel you for being a conservative. And so I literally think we need new legislation that says, no, giant banks, common carriers, right? Not just the phone company, but Facebook, Twitter. They can't discriminate against you for being conservative. I can lead the charge to get that legislation done.
0: Uh, interesting that the Department of Homeland Security has been using uh, phrases like domestic terrorist, much like we heard being said about people at at, at meetings, at, at school board meetings, but also talking about the dangers of misinformation Uh, When it comes to COVID-19 or it comes to uh, the election being stolen in 2020, it it seems to me to be a scary proposition that we would demonize uh, an opinion that somebody else has that's different than the government's.
1: That's totally right. You know, and all of a sudden conservatives, right? We Republicans, we're the only people who believe in free speech. And I believe in free speech. I don't think AOC should be deplatformed. I think she should be free to say what she wants. And her ideas are wrong. They're bad. We can win. Right. Uh, We just need a chance to speak. Um, So the left, maybe they used to believe in free speech. Maybe they used to believe in the First Amendment. Man, they do not believe in that anymore. So I, I
0: should have asked this earlier. What do you think is the number one issue facing America? So if you get to the United States Senate, what is the issue that's going to be on the forefront for you?
1: I mean, the number one issue is the border crisis. It just is. It's kind of, I wish it weren't, it's, you know, we don't need a fancy technological solution. You just need the political will to actually enforce federal law. We got to finish the wall, triple the size of border patrol, uh, and give those guys the support they need. Once we fix that, you know, once you stop, uh, stop the the leaks in the ship, then you can actually focus on, you know, other problems. Why are you falling behind militarily? Uh, What's going on with the woke generals, right? Big tech. Um, But actually, the border is just the most important issue, plain and simple.
0: A byproduct of that is fentanyl being the number one killer of 18 to 45 year olds in the U.S. Uh, We've had a war on drugs and spent billions and billions of dollars trying to fight drugs in this country. And it hasn't seemed to work. But now it seems to be worse because it's killing so many
1: people. What do we need to do on that front? Seal the border. Hold China accountable. You know, I know China shipped us COVID allegedly on accident, you know. We'll see. (laughs) Or maybe we won't. But here's one thing the fentanyl that China is shipping to us via our southern border with Mexico, that's very much on purpose. And this Joe Biden administration, it's, it's literally just criminal. They've opened the borders, they've let China flood our country with fentanyl. And fentanyl is different than marijuana. Okay, I'm not pro marijuana, but I will tell you, fentanyl is so deadly, right? Enough fentanyl crosses our southern border every month to kill every American twice over. This is a whole new problem. And the Biden administration, it's not even just they're asleep at the wheel. They affirmatively want this to be happening. And that's why it's criminal.
0: What do you think the United States Congress can and should do or the United States government can and should do to slow down inflation or decrease it?
1: The first thing is to stop spending money, you know. That's it's You can't spend six trillion dollars in a year and not expect tons of inflation. You know, my opponent, Mark Kelly in the race, he talks about how inflation is caused not by spending too much money. No, no, no. Inflation is caused by all the greedy businessmen get together at the same time and decide to raise prices like that's literally the Democrat understanding of economics. Uh, No. In an inflationary environment, the worst thing to do is to add fuel to the fire and just keep printing money. So. Maybe a hard problem to solve. You can solve 80% of it by just stopping the printing presses.
0: I know that a short interview like this doesn't tell the full story about your campaign, but when people want to learn more about you, if they want to learn about the campaign and where your stance is on all of the issues, how do they find you?
1: Well, thank you. You can go to blakemasters.com or look me up on Twitter until they kick me off. Uh, I'm posting videos there almost every single day. Uh, all right.
0: That actually made me laugh. That was great. Um, I, I appreciate the time today, and I hope you'll come back as the race continues. I want informed voters, and I want voters to understand more and more about your platform and
1: your other opponents as well. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to joining again. All right. Thanks, Blake. That is Blake
0: Masters joining me for a few moments. He is a candidate for the United States Senate. Uh, we want informed voters. We want you to be able to hear from all the candidates. We're also inviting Democrat candidates for different offices on as well in these statewide races. It is going to be a big decision made in this November and earlier than that for people that are voting in the primary. Coming up in a moment. Uh, We are going to talk about what happens and the latest that's happening with the county attorney's office. And there is an update about an investigation that is now happening by the Bar Association. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. strong values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We're going to talk more about the president's comments today. President Zelensky of Ukraine addressed the United States Congress this morning. We'll talk about what he asked for and what he said. And then our president spoke this morning, less than an hour ago, or about an hour ago, and spoke about what we are going to do. And there's a new plan, more money being spent, $800 million. We're going to get to all that coming up in the the final hour of the show. I want to go back to a topic we addressed earlier this morning and earlier this week. On Monday morning, we talked about this. It had come out that there were over 180 or about 180 cases in the Maricopa County Attorney's Office that were not filed in a timely manner, and the statute of limitations ran out, which means charges could not be filed. And it was the majority of those cases were the uh, Maricopa County Sheriff's Office and DPS. And uh, Sheriff Paul Penzone was on with Gatos and Chad. And uh, I want you to hear his description about this. This is what the sheriff of Maricopa County had to say about his agency and how it affected them and how it affected crime victims.
1: For a person who's been a victim of an assault or, or a theft or some something of that nature, it's traumatic. When you think that you've been victimized and then you've been failed by the system, that's something that's difficult to, to understand. You know, you expect that law enforcement and the courts and prosecutors are going to be there to fight for justice as it's served in our nation. So in our cases, I think we had 30 or so that were dropped, and I know that it least, I want to say, 18 or 19 involved victims. And then you look at the other ones where they're supposed to be victimless crimes. Again, my concern is a drunk driver who maybe didn't we didn't get justice. How do we curb that behavior? What have we done to make sure that they don't repeat that behavior? And potentially, you know, they're involved in an accident down the road because they're drunk driving because they got away with it this time and we didn't do something to try to intervene and hold them accountable. In our business, we have to look at the potential consequences and liability and then we have to look in the mirror and say, did we do everything that we could to try to prevent that from happening? So we had uh,
0: Rick Romley he was the former Maricopa County attorney on, and it's interesting uh, uh, interesting perspective for Mr. Romley because uh, Rick spent years as the county attorney in Maricopa County, so he has run that office before, said that it was not a common occurrence, that, and I don't know how many times it's happened before, when whether it was his office or someone else's, but he said it's not a common occurrence, that this was obviously a management issue and an oversight issue, and there are staffing issues, but there really is no excuse for this. He is calling for her to step down, but Mr. Romley has been calling for her to step down long before this, because uh, as you know, most people know the story here in Maricopa County, the county attorney is uh, is dealing with I don't want to say struggling with, but dealing with alcoholism, admittedly, has talked about it publicly. It's got to be a rough thing to do to speak about something like that publicly. But my concern from the beginning, I said two things. Number one, her overall her overall well-being and health, that anybody that's ever been around an addict or has dealt with addiction themselves knows that when you are an addict, especially at the beginning phases of your recovery, nothing can be more important. There is no relationship. There is no job. There is nothing that comes before your sobriety. That in order to tackle this issue, that must come first in your life. So my question then was having to deal with this as publicly as she has to because of her job. Is this best for her recovery? Is this best for her physical well-being? And I don't know the answer to that, only she does. She has said over and over again that she is capable of doing the job that she is going to continue to do the job. And then there was a letter written by people in her office, managers in her office, people that work directly for her. It was a letter sent to her and to the Bar Association saying, we do not have faith that you can do this job appropriately. That first and foremost we must you must do the job appropriately. There were accusations that she was impaired at work. She is denied those things categorically and says she is not leaving her office. So then the second part of this comes into play. Are you effectively running this office? Now this has the reason why the alcoholism has to be brought in because that came out first. It doesn't matter if the alcoholism caused this, if that is a, you know, this is a product of that. What is happening here is people in Maricopa County are losing faith in the ability of that office to do its job. That is something that I believe is, is, is um, unacceptable. The people of Maricopa County need to be able to feel as if the county attorney's office is going to appropriately convict people or prosecute people when they commit crimes against other citizens in this county. And when they don't feel that that's being done then they, you're doing the people of the county a disservice. You are the leader of that office, and ultimately, you are responsible. If it was another manager, then you should have been the one to discipline or get rid of other people. So the update is this. The State Bar Association is investigating these cases. They are going to take a look at how and why this happened, and I, I don't blame them. The other angle on this that I found uh, frustrating is the law enforcement officials. Right now, we have been complaining and accurately and I think rightfully complaining that law enforcement agencies across Maricopa County and across the state, but specifically here now, Maricopa County, are dramatically understaffed. So you are stretched to the limit to try to do your job and doing your job entails you are going to investigate cases, make arrests and get it to the county attorney's office for prosecution. Imagine being in the Phoenix Police Department as overwhelmed as they are with taking detectives out of detective bureaus and putting them back in uniform and putting them on patrol. So you have left less detectives to do the job. They're still doing it to file cases with the Maricopa County attorney's office only to have some of those cases tossed because they didn't file the charges in a timely manner. It has got to be demoralizing to to uh, to morale. It's got to lower morale in the agencies, because if you don't have the relationship between those two offices is closer than you would think that prosecutors and detectives work hand in hand on cases. Allocation of evidence and uh, due process and making sure you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's and how you investigate and how you arrest and how you interrogate, documenting evidence that's been get, been gotten at the uh, crime scenes and making sure that the prosecutors have everything they need to convict people of the crimes they've committed. When that relationship is fractured or damaged, it it is it is. Uh, It is a disservice to the people of Maricopa County. So I, again, I don't know the answer to whether or not she should step down, but this is not good. And she needs to speak out. I believe that she should be speaking on this and not hiding and not just releasing statements. What we're going to do right after 11 o'clock is jump back on what happened in Ukraine and what our president had to say today to the Ukrainian people and the rest of the world. Next.